the one thing I will say is we need to bring back tunnels of love to commit Man, murders in potentially coming up. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the, the tunnel of love that, that side note, she is like 100% having a threesome on. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, <laughs> if you go into a tunnel of love alone, it should just take you to the police. It should just, <laughs> it should, there should be a filter in there somehow that just sends you directly to the cops. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Bowlet Season 6, Episode 1. I'm here with Nate. Nate, how does it feel? We made it. We're at Season 6. We did it all the way to Season 6. I'm so proud of us. There was so much standing in our way to our ability to do a thing that we do for free with no permission from anyone, and we did it. Is is it even permission? I feel like we do this in like uh, in affront to many of our friends, <laughs> in, family, in and absence loved ones. of yeah, d- blatant disregard for the many signals that we should stop. It's pretty blatant at this point. Oh yeah, there are <laughs> there well, are signs. You, you of recently plum. described our our listenership as having dropped and plateaued. Which is not usually the order of events you want to happen before a plateau. No. Like, at least you could be going up before plateauing. But hey, you know, we have a really uh, banging list of uh, movies on this episode. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get the dozens of people that have seen these movies uh, into watching. So, this week, we are doing Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as our theme. uh, Based off of the medium successful movie plane starring podcast favorite Gerard Butler that came out recently and went to VOD within I think 72 hours <laughs> I was of release. Say, it, was, it was definitely sub one week uh, and then we are also doing planes trains and automobiles the titular movie of this podcast we are also doing 1951's strangers on a train by Alfred Hitchcock we had to get one actually good movie in this episode. <laughs> and then we are also doing 2006 Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby by Adam McKay, because somehow you had never seen this movie. I hadn't. It's, yeah, it's one of my weird blank spots. Which feels impossible given that you were in high school when this was released and every single high school boy watched this movie. To be fair, I was I was too busy just watching Anchorman like 19 times a week at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say you were either too busy watching Anchorman or too busy prepping for Cats. Was Cats this year or was that later? That's a good question. No, Cats was uh, Cats was later. Um, that was our senior year of play, been, right? Yeah, this would Aida have been or year in town. No, it was you're in town. This was okay. you're in town. Yeah, Cats was junior year, and then this is great. Let's go back to the other <laughs> conversation about these movies. Please stop embarrassing me talking about musicals. I want to talk about watching too many movies alone. I was about to see how long you would go down your uh, robust history of musical theater, Uh, but you cut it off quicker than I would have hoped. Uh, So, Nate, what is your um, relationship with transportation? It's a great question. Um, So I have been an avid uh, proponent of, I would say, and a user of transportation for the vast majority of my life. Is this um, chat GPT? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, I like going places and I, I like things that help me go places more efficiently. Um, I also, in all seriousness, like have through large stretches of my life had long commutes for work, um, partially mm-hmm. because I live in Ber- Vermont, but also when I lived in New York, I was like driving to Connecticut or long. Yeah, Island Cause you, every day. you had the weird 
driving. I had New the reverse, York. yeah, reverse commute. I, I had a, a Buick LeSabre that we fondly called the boat, and I would drive it up to Westport, Connecticut every day, and then come back and then circle the block in Sunnyside, Queens for like two hours and want to drive into the Hudson. I, I would um, like to say we are not talking about boats on this podcast, so please which, don't sully this. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> this episode. Uh, Really catastrophic oversight, and I think I think we we owe an apology to the seafaring folk everywhere. <laughs> Poseidon, oh, we, are we apologizing <laughs> to Poseidon right now? Uh, yeah, because you had an uh, an active commute, you know, where you're actually yeah. driving. You can listen to music or a podcast or whatever, but you have to be like paying attention while you're doing stuff. Yeah. For the past decade or so, I've had a passive commute where I get on a subway. And 40 minutes later, I show up at work. Yeah, I and- may transfer once, but my brain is turned off and I'm, I'm on complete autopilot that entire time. And the cool thing about being on autopilot the entire time is that uh, you can get up to lots of different hijinks, which is part of what we're talking about on this episode is the type of hijinks that you can get into while on a mode of transportation or in a mode of transportation or near a mode of transportation. It's... It's pretty okay. So we're we're starting with Plane, the new movie uh, from Jean Francois Richet, starring. Sure, <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, which is the pen name for Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, starring Gerard Butler, which came out uh, in February because that's when the Lord intended it to. <laughs> Actually, no, sorry, January thirteenth. January, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was sorry. it was a pre dumpuary movie. <laughs> oh my god, it made good money. It made it's made like forty four million, but it is yeah. the epitome of Gerard Butler's later career, just straight B movie schlog or whatever you want to call it. We talk very glowingly about Gerard Butler on this podcast very often, uh, especially when Gabe is on. Um, but he's not good at what he does. I disagree with you 100% on this point, and now we're in a fight. I think Gerard Butler is great at what he does because he knows his lane. And I would argue that someone who knows their lane and does exactly what they're supposed to do is better than someone who is constantly trying to outkick their coverage and like having the ball come back and hit him in the face. Mixed metaphor alert. <laughs> yeah, what? Are you talking specifically to Darren <laughs> I don't know or? sports. That's why we're doing a movie podcast about vehicles. <laughs> uh... This this movie plane has a the most generic title intentionally <laughs> of of a movie. Uh, we'll get to its sequel hold, later. Yeah, I was going to say hold, real hold my beer moment coming up. And it promised to be the the entertain I mean what would be normally an airplane movie, but this is about an airplane crash, so it can't be an airplane movie. Right. Uh but a mindless entertaining, action-y, thrillery movie starring a person you know, a person you recognize but can't really understand what he's been in the past, and then nobody else. Yep. So That's correct. And, and I would argue what Gerard Butler, I think, does well is he is consistently the right amount of charismatic, the right amount of engaging. He's not, like, doing something weird to try and get your attention. He's not, like, he is just Gerard... Gerald Butler, as we as we commonly call him, uh, charisma incarnate, like doing his thing, and you're watching Gerard Butler in any number. Oh, in this movie, he's a scientist. Sure, in this movie, he uh, 
invented some type of system that prevents uh, catastrophic um, environmental collapse. Sure, why not? In this one, he's got to get to a bunker in Greenland before, I guess, again, catastrophic environmental collapse. In this one, he throws a donut in the hot zone. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just Gerard Butler doing all these things. And it works because he's a fun dude to kind of watch do stuff. What I think this movie doesn't necessarily take full advantage of is it doesn't really let him be fun. It's not like, a fun movie. It's, it's not a fun movie. It's it, it, Brody Torrance coming up, ca- uh, the ca- captain ca- of captain plane, Brody captain Torrance. Ca- Brody Torrance, the captain of the titular plane in plane, is a guy who they they kind of and we haven't really talked about the plot at all. Plane crashes down, uh, bad weather. Plane crashes. Kind of, but he actually lands it, and it's totally fine uh, on Jolo Island, um, a real which place, is a real place, um, overrun by rebels to the point where uh, the uh, Filipino government won't send any military there to help rescue them, uh, and so there he has to kind of save them all, um, and he's just kind of a guy. And you you forgot a very important part of the plot. Is that oh right, of course they're also yes. transporting. A um, a criminal on board, Mike Coulter, aka Luke Cage, and uh, he, who has obviously committed crimes in his past, has to help Captain Brody Torrance escape the island with his uh, military knowledge. Right. Initially, he's uh, being um, accompanied by a uh, some type of service member who's who's guarding him. Guy dies in the plane crash. Um, so eventually they end up releasing him and he, he helps out. And there are a couple moments where you don't know where his loyalties lie and, oh, is he going to run away? And then he comes back and saves Gerard Butler and whatever. Um, the plot's two not charismatic important. guys. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. Two totally charismatic guys doing their thing. It's fine, but it doesn't really let them like Mike Coulter is a fucking massive gargantuan, incredibly attractive human. Um, <laughs> who is like physically such an imposing presence. This is uh, for those of you who've watched the Luke Cage show, you'd know this kind of mid show. Who, really who are you talking it. to? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gabe um, for Gabe of you. Um, he, the thing that does work about that show is that he just physically, it, he, he has such command over his body and the way that he moves within that show is so believable as a superhero. Um, here, he, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a believable soldier, but he mostly just shoots some people. He, like, strong arms a couple guys. There's no, like, crazy, oh, my God, it's just kind of your standard fair action movie-ish stuff. There's no Gerard, crazy over-the-top anything in this movie. No, that's not true. There are a couple things, and they mostly involve, like, people getting exploded in half by a sniper rifle. Yeah. And, uh, and a dude getting... Uh, the, the wheel of a plane to the face, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's mostly down the stretch. It doesn't really, I don't know. I wanted more out of this. I, I really did. I did too. So I, I saw this in the theater and the first half an hour maybe is like a pretty just by the beat serious film. Yeah. Cap, Captain Bertie Torrance is piloting a air, uh, airplane for a budget airline called Trailblazer. He has to fly. <laughs> we all know who it's supposed to be. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we have to, or he has to fly during New Year's, and it's basically an empty plane save for 12 people-ish. Great concept, by the way. Great That's concept. Like perfect. 
And, you know, they t- show that he is on this because he had a dust up with a drunk passenger on a, you know, one of his previous flights, you know, trying to set the scene. But it's a very serious movie for the first like 30 minutes. And there's a plane crash that is done pretty seriously. And, you know, he ha- gets directed through terrible thunderstorms and the lightning strikes the plane and it goes down, yada, yada, yada. And that is just like a straight up 30 minutes of a plane crash. And to be fair, I actually thought that that was some of the more successful stuff in the movie. I, totally. Like, that totally worked. And if that was the lane they wanted to go, that's like a little bit more in that sort of Greenland um, vein in terms of his recent releases where it's like pretty straight ahead movie. Um, it's well performed for the most part for what it is. Looks pretty good for what it is. Um, you get a lot of the the technical beats, which um, uh, we'll actually talk a little bit about that, but like it, essential things in these vehicle movies. Um, but that, uh, you know, it does all that stuff really well. And then he lands the plane. And that's cool that, you know, you're expecting mm-hmm. it to be a plane crash, but actually he lands it. Great. Awesome. Um, and then they're just this kind of morass of time that's spent wandering around trying to get phone mm-hmm. service and then they do and then they come back and then some terrorists come and kill some people and then they wait and then some people come to help them out and then they do and then they leave. That's the movie. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's an escape movie <clears throat> and a survival movie, but none of those are particularly exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, I'm actively rooting against some of the members on the plane. Uh, For because sure. They, oh, yeah. Uh, that, is, that is coming up later, but... I you know it they write um they write my culture's character is like an empathetic guy at the end. Everyone else on that plane sucks. I don't want any Absolutely. of them to survive. Yeah. yeah. And it's this nameless, faceless uh mercenary group that you you know they're fighting against. And you're like, all right, so they're gonna kill some people, they're gonna get out of it, he's gonna get off the island, yada yada yada. There's also a big theme of like Trailblazer Airlines, corporate, you know, corporate, corporations are bad. And somehow they have immediate access to vigilantes and militiamen. I was going to say, if you're going for, they're like hinting at an anti-corporation message while being like, yeah, <laughs> for hire mercenaries are yeah. the shit. It's like a very pro Blackwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know who's bad? Spirit Airlines. Yes. You know who's good? Blackwater. <laughs> Blackwater. Like, oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it makes it makes no sense. It's not nearly as fun as I was hoping for. No, and that's that's really the. When you, again, when you go to a Gerard Butler movie, like what those promise and when they are at their best, what they do is like that level of weirdness and over the topness and goofiness and someone who's like committing to the bit enough that it, it works. It kind of toes that line perfectly. And this just falls on the, the end where it kind of did neither of those things well. It wasn't crazy enough. Yep. And he didn't have enough to of a bit to commit to. He was just a guy who like, did the right thing and he, took out a passenger. A, a nice he like man. subdued a yeah. passenger who was getting violent. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? And they made that out to be a big thing. So you I know, think- it's, it's cancel culture coming again, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's bad? Um, so I, I think a good a good summary of of what doesn't totally work about this movie is. So full disclosure, I, I watched this movie um, 
for the first time relatively late at night. And by that, I mean by my standards, which means, I don't know, like 9.30. Um, and I was a little high, as I want to do sometimes when I'm watching movies like this. And so rented it, watched the movie. I get to the end of it. Uh, I was watching with my wife, Ivy, um, friend of the famed, pod. Famed non-listener of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, she'll never know that this happened. Um, and I get to the end, and and I'm positive I must have dozed off or or passed out because there's just like there's plot lines that didn't get resolved. There's a whole like Mike Coulter, like they they never really unpack like what happened with him, and then he just like he was in the French the Foreign Legion, and he, right, know, like yeah. I, I knew some of that, but it's like they never say like who did he actually kill and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, okay, I, I clearly like I got high, I was tired, I passed out, whatever. So the next morning I go back and I turn it on to where I knew that I had kind of missed out on it. And I, I put it back on just to kind of how, catch how, up on any like parts. How late I, are we I'm talking missing. into this? This is like, I, I started it again at like the halfway mark just to okay. check. Cause I, I knew that I was with it at the very end. So I watched, you know, the, the sort of middle third, 45 minutes. I hadn't passed out. <laughs> I had seen, I remembered every single moment of that movie. This movie just like, it feels like they, I don't know, ran out of money partway through. And we're like, yeah, I guess just wrap it up. It's fine. Whatever. We don't, no, no, we don't need to resolve any of these plot lines about like the loose thread. He, they never unpack. There's all these hints of like, oh, you're going to hear about the person that he killed and mm-hmm. or why he was wrongly framed. Or if he wasn't like what happened, none. Yeah, they no. don't give a shit. And then at the end, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to go fucking disappear on this island and not get on the plane. This island that is overrun with rebels and oh, I'll figure it out. Sure. So fast. <laughs> but it's okay because I have a sack of money. And one thing that'll help you in this circumstance is a sack of money that the fucking rebels are going to want and they're going to kill you for. What are we doing? So dumb. It's it's incredibly stupid and not fun enough to be this incredibly stupid. So right. did did you prefer watching this on VOD? Because I went into a theater and I've you know I've said a bunch of times that I have uh, AMC A list, which allows yeah. me to go see these for no cost on top of my subscription service. Which is great. so going to see this with Gabe and Paul was like a fun afternoon. It, totally. it doesn't cost me anything. It's cheaper than like going and hanging out at a bar. It's it's a good yeah. time. But outside of me, like who like <laughs> who is this for? That's why I went to VOD so quick. But it but it made a a good amount of money. This made like seven tars, <laughs> which is well, like to be horribly fair, famously depressing. comparable movie. Yeah, like that's you know <laughs> in terms of just the cinematic quality. I think that I think that, that what, what that tells you more than anything else is that there are a lot of um, theaters that now serve alcohol. I think that's the, yeah. the clearest yeah, yeah, yeah. from that. Um, my theater does not, so yes, I liked this more on VOD. Um, but I, I, it does feel like the type of movie that's that's a real. It needs a chaser. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs multiple chasers consistently while watching. Yes. I think that's the way to watch this movie. And even then, or it's fine. again, honestly, like don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is a put it on, look at your phone, cook yes. dinner, great multitasker movie for sure. It's it's not important enough to give your full attention to. Yeah, um, but you know what they are doing now, making a sequel, baby. Uh, and I I love the commitment to the bit. They're calling it what ship ship. <laughs> Not even, first of all, not boat. I mean, that's fine, but boat, right? Exactly. Boat is so much better. 
Is, uh, it, is it in the Captain Brody Torrance expanded universe, or is it just... I, I think it's in the Mike Coulter expanded universe, which oh. I don't even remember what his name is. It's something French, which is funny. Louis um, Gaspar. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, so they're, they're making a sequel, which I guess is the only fucking reason that the end of his plot line makes any sense. Um, still doesn't. He'd be dead, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, same I'll director. probably do the same thing and see it when it comes out. Because whatever, but I don't know. So I'm on the Wikipedia page right now, and it says, while Gerard Butler will not star, he may make a cameo appearance. Ooh. Oh, my God. Like, this, expanded universes have gone too far. Well, we'll we'll talk about that at future episodes. (laughs) For sure. But, I mean, I think to kind of sum everything up, I wasn't upset I saw this movie. I didn't come out angry. I just came out going like, huh, all right. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. I wasn't even disappointed. I, I knew I... Well, you expect yeah. <laughs> you expect less from these movies than I do. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not disappointed that this wasn't some... <clears throat> I mean, I was never expecting high art, but I, I expected more fun, to be honest. Right, I think, that, I think that's where it, where it failed the most. So, um, what... So I think the spot to round out this conversation is uh, to introduce um, a scoring system that uh, I've, I've that that has been devised. We'll say it that way. Um, So this is a a way of kind of evaluating since we're talking about vehicular movies of different kinds. um, I was thinking about, you know, the various types of vehicular movies and stuff like that and what is feels essential to it. And so I devised a a nine point plan that is sort of like the essentials of any plan. Uh, yeah, a scoring system, a plan, a plan to make your perfect vehicular okay. movie, right? It's a nine-point plan, or you can say the scoring system, um, a.k.a. Uh, the Vrooms, which is uh, vehicle movie requisites often overlooked maddeningly. Uh, so that's... <laughs> M- that's M's really, M's really yeah. doing a lot of work there. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, so these are the nine um, things that you can score a point in for a vehicle movie, and we're going to use this to evaluate um, the, the other oh, films we, that we, we are. Oh, we are? Oh, yeah. Oh, we sure are. Um, okay, so the, the categories are, number one, the majority of the movie is spent in a vehicle. Number two, there is a systems check. Number three, there is a systems failure, usually at the <laughs> expense of at least one character. Number four, there is a sequence in, that involves either buckling up or strapping in or bracing. Okay. Number five, someone has to take control of the situation. Okay. Whatever situation may arise. Number six... Uh, the person who takes control of the situation is either the best at what they do, oftentimes unexpectedly or in an overlooked way, or they have a total lack of experience whatsoever. <laughs> it's one of those two things. Seven, uh, there is a ticking clock in some way. It could be planes about to crash. We have X amount of fuel. Uh, okay. Train is going to hit this. You yeah. know, any of those things, right? Number eight, the climax hinges on doing something with the vehicle that you're not supposed to do. So using the vehicle in a way that okay. usually there is someone on screen saying like, you can't, you can't. do that with this. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last one, slightly unrelated to um, the vehicle itself, but oftentimes essential in these movies, there is a piece of either familial drama, familial backstory, something like that, that is either completely tangential, but used to kind of signal at the emotion of the film or is integral to the film, but is some type of reveal or plot twist. So for example, Brody Torrance has a dead wife. Sure, whatever. And so we know something about him as a character and we keep it moving. 
So this those might are be nine... your best work, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 this or it's the uh, the Pacino, the Hua awards. awards. I think that stuff probably takes yeah. the cake. So the Vroom score, we're looking at the Vroomies, plane. the Vroomies. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, it's actually the Vroom meter, uh, Vroomometer. So, <laughs> Vroomometer, <laughs> that's way better. Nice job. So uh, let's run through this for plane. Um, for plane, the majority of the movie is not in a plane, if you math it out. It actually spends the majority of the time on it's the ground. It's pretty close, so, though, because they get back in the plane. It's comparable, but it's not a definitive. Yeah. There's yeah. not a definitive majority, so it's scoring a zero on that one. Does it get half Pretty harsh point? on this. No, it gets no, a zero on this one. a binary system? No, it's not always a binary system, but this one's <laughs> going to be a zero. Okay. It's not a, <laughs> no, okay. I'll, give you, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the half a point. We'll go half a point on it because it does split it pretty evenly. All right. So we've got half a point there. Systems check. There is 100% oh, yeah. a systems oh, yeah. check. And let me tell you, is that one it hell fails. of a systems check? Yeah, because follow-up systems failure at the expense of a character, check. So we've got two points on the board. So two point two and five and a half points. points on the board. Yeah, exactly. Buckle up, strap in, brace. Oh, sure, yeah. sure do, baby. Someone takes control of the situation. Brody Torrance. Oh, yeah. Captain, sure does. Captain Brody Torrance. Stop fucking Captain up Brody name. Torrance. Now, Captain Brody Torrance. Is he the best at what he does? No. Is he very good at what he does in a way that gets somewhat overlooked because he's flying this kind of misnomer? Yeah. So he'll get a half point on half this. Point. So this brings us to that, you know, so we, we uh, connect those two half points. Lane's going pretty highly on the vroomometer. Sure is. Ticking clock. There sure is a ticking clock. That's true. Um, because he's got the, the plane's about to crash, and then the fuel's about to run out and all that stuff. Uh, climax hinges on something that, with the vehicle that you're not supposed to do. Sure does, because the owner of the airline is like, you can't do this with the plane. And he's like, I'm going to do this with the plane. And I don't know what is actually happening, but sure. Finally, now this is an important one, and it's going to affect the score in a big way. Familial drama that is often uh, presented as either tangential or integral to the plot. Now, Gerard Butler definitely has some familial drama that is tangential to the plot and not related. So it Father does a point for Gerard that. Butler. Father Gerard Butler. However, it loses that point because of Mike Coulter's story, which is <laughs> briefly introduced and then completely erased and has absolutely no substance to it. So it gets a zero on that. That brings us to seven out of nine rooms, which is a fairly, it's a passing that's, score. I think that's pretty high. It's, I'm, I'm just not bad. I'm just thinking about the the other movies in this. Uh... Compared to those movies, it is pretty high. It's a 78% on the Vroomometer, which is, you know, not bad, is, not the best. So I'm just trying to think, would like speed be we'll like we'll I, get to we'll get okay, to some okay, of the okay, best right, ones right, at right, the right. end of the episode. <laughs> Don't want to jump the gun on the Vroomometer. Right. But uh, I'm I'm excited to hear uh, the rest. Of, this is a fantastic bit, and I'm I'm very Great. happy. You came <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so seven out of nine rooms for plane. That's uh, in, as quality of movie, it's not nearly as. High. It is not. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, do you recommend this, Nate? I think I recommend it in exactly the way we talked about of. If you Are you a little high while cooking uh, dinner? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want a movie that you're not sure whether you saw the whole thing or not? Watch Plane. Uh, the last thing I have to say, this might be one of the worst movie posters I've ever seen for a movie sure is. that made almost $50 million. Absolutely. It is Captain Brody Torrance standing in uh, Breaking Bad's Mexico <laughs> with Mike Coulter. <laughs> Behind him, also standing in Breaking Bad's Mexico, with embers in front of them, uh, 
part of the fuselage of a plane and then just the word plane in the most basic text you could ever, like basic font you could ever ask for. And it, it it's like, astonishing. Like Gerard Butler was not there for that photo shoot. Like no, they took his, they took his face from some still of the movie and just copied it onto man and then put him <laughs> in this. It, it's a, Awful, awful poster. Yeah. Uh, not a great movie. Uh, what is a great movie, though, is our next one, which is 1951's Strangers on a Train by Alfred sure Hitchcock. Yes. So I had never seen this before this episode. I have a pretty big gap in my Hitchcock because he's made so many films and I didn't start watching movies until three years ago, basically. <laughs> Uh, so Nate, do you want to give us a quick rundown of what happens in strangers on the train? Yeah. So as with many Hitchcock, um, movies, this is a film that is entirely about suspense and, and sort of tension and the buildup to crazy moments and, and stuff like that. Um, in this one, the premise of it is that, uh, two people meet on a train. Wild. One of them is a psychopath. Uh, the other one is a professional tennis player. Celebrity. Uh, Celebrity. Celebrity. Yeah. A, a, a Rafa Nadal. <laughs> featured heavily in the gossip columns uh, of the day, tennis player who's in the midst of a uh, acrimonious divorce. Um, and the psychopath character, um, whose name is Bruno, uh, Bruno An- Antony, I think. Bruno, Bruno Antony. Yeah. Um, he presents this idea as a hypothetical about uh, the perfect murder, which would be a double murder in which two people who've never met each other before um, agree to each kill someone for each other. That there would be no contact. There'd be no uh, way to trace it back to the person. You just, you'd agree that one person would kill the other person's person and one person would kill the other person's person. And that's the whole deal, right? Uh, this happens for, five minutes into the movie. It's, it's right off the bat. They just dive right into it. Um, and he's clearly a, a wacky dude. And um, Farley Granger plays uh, the tennis player. Um, Guy Haynes is his yep. name. And uh, so Guy kind of uh, jokingly entertains him and is like, this guy's a weirdo and, and gets away and, um, and in the process leaves his lighter. Um, this sets off a train of events in which uh, um, Bruno commits the murder uh, in question. <laughs> oh, I'm just and joking. Then, or am I? <laughs> and, then, and then tries to convince uh, Guy Haynes to murder his father, um, uh, Bruno's father, which was the person who he wanted mm-hmm. um, murdered. Uh, and the movie goes from there. And it's kind of about uh, Guy Haynes trying to get out of the trouble that he kind of landed himself in by having a, um, sharing a train car with this sociopath. Um, it, it, this it, movie's fucking awesome. It's great. This this movie fits into the stranger approaches you and asks you to do a weird thing and shit goes wrong from there. Yes. I mean, I think what taking of Pelham 123 is also like this. If we want to go back to another train film. Yes. Uh, totally. That definitely like it heads in the heist direction and this is definitely more like a thriller, but but similar type of thing of just like what starts off as kind of a weird conversation kind of spirals. The difference is that I think it's pretty clear that Bruno's character is like deeply unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, and as the movie showing goes on, his home life and, and everything, yeah, you, yeah. you get to see like a lot of stuff of, of his sort of more manic behavior and, and things like that. And um, so there's, there's that whole dimension to it, but um, yeah, man, this movie is just, so I, I watched it for the first time 
Uh, I had watched it earlier in the year. Um, I just sort of started a Hitchcock binge uh, independent of this and then just rewatched it actually today um, to kind of uh, review for it. Um, this is one of the best examples, I think, in, you know, it's it's a higher profile Hitchcock, but not uh, of the same ilk as, yep. as something like Vertigo or, or yeah. um, Vertigo or, or Psycho. Um, this is some of the best use of suspense that I think you know, the quote unquote master of suspense has ever done the way that he sort of strings out moments Mm -hmm. and creates tension out of these little things like dropping a lighter down the drain or, um, dragging out a, uh, a point in, um, in tennis. You're just constantly on edge throughout this whole movie because it's kind of barreling towards, um, all these possible points of confrontation that never quite arrive or when they do it's it's taken so long to get there that you're just like your your whole body is a massive tension i don't know it's just it's so much more interesting than just the premise in and of itself um could otherwise be i think one of the best things about it is it shows both perspectives throughout the whole movie yeah it it also you know a lot of these movies you are just focused on the protagonist and stuff happens around them this one, you spend a good amount of time with Bruno and watch him commit the murders. You watch him at home and you really get to under, not understand him, but like get to know him and just his eccentricities. And that's what I really loved is, is it, it's a duality rather than just you trying to figure it out. You like, it's, it's suspenseful. It's not a mystery. Right. It's not a whodunit. It's suspenseful in like, What's this gonna fucking happen crazy and when guy, is it gonna happen? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Like, what's he gonna do next? And the other thing about it is, I think, I think part of what helps play into that is for the time and for how small a movie this is in mm-hmm. terms of scope, it's got a pretty deep bench, not yeah. just in terms of like the, the names of the actors, but in terms of the amount of attention paid to them. Like, you've got, um, the you know there's guy and then there's bruno but then there's guys i guess technically mistress or his girlfriend yeah because he's you know because the wife he's not with anymore and then she gets killed you get some like wife miriam and that wife yeah, yeah and then ann is yeah. is his partner now then you get a bunch of time with ann's sister mm-hmm. who's like kind of a surprisingly significant character who gets like bruno has a weird fixation with her at one point and you just there's like a just a little more depth all the the surrounding characters mm-hmm. than you'd otherwise expect in a movie like this and in a movie of this scope. And I think that really adds to the um, to the quality of the film because it just feels a little bit more lived in despite how ludicrous the whole concept is. Even the policeman telling him. It, like, oh, yeah. There's a couple conversations where you're like, oh, okay, this guy's a guy. I mean, this is one of the most absurd premises of a uh, like, major movie that I've ever heard. Yes, of course. Uh, None of us here have ever arranged a double murder while on a train with someone they didn't know. That would be crazy. A, the idea of, like, social cars on trains. Like, I I don't want a single fucking human talking to me when I'm on an Amtrak back to Springfield. Like, absolutely not. There's there's a really funny, like, updated version of this where Bruno starts talking to him and Guy just fucking puts in his AirPods and movie over. Uh, But it's... It's, you know, obviously absurd. This crazy person has sought out this celebrity. So that at least makes it believable. Yep. And he's done his research. There's an obsession there. He knows of the trouble before it happens. You know, he comes in with the knowledge about Guy to the situation. So in that first five minutes, you understand like, oh, this guy's fucking crazy. And he's done his 
background research, which makes the rest of the movie very suspenseful. It's like, oh, this guy is capable and determined, which, uh, you know, Hitchcock does so phenomenally well. Um, Sure does. This is sneakily in the Exposition via Dialogue Hall of Fame. Unbelievable. It's it's really helpful to uh, include a batshit crazy character into your film who's just going to list off someone's fucking Wikipedia biography. Like it really helps <laughs> move the plot along. That that's you are simultaneously establishing him as a crazy obsessive person. Yeah. Um. Well, also we're also throwing around the term crazy. Like like clinically. Yeah. This guy is psychologically disturbed. That is what we're talking. About. He is a he is a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um. But he, you know, it's it's reinforcing his insanity, hand in hand with giving you all the relevant information that you need to know and all the character dynamics, so that when you see guy walk into the house with Anne and Anne's sister and the the senator who's her dad, you already know who all those characters are. So you don't have to have a weird conversation in there that undermines their closeness. They just you can believe that relationship because it that's all they have to focus on. You already have the backstory. A hundred percent and. So all of the exposition dump happens right up front. And then it explains the whole movie, honestly. And then you're just with them throughout. Um, Throughout this movie, it's some of the best and then most duplicated shots in cinema history. The number of things that are parroted in here, um, I think we both noted the the tennis match. There's the shot of everybody watching the ball going back and forth. And then you see the crowd and the crowd's heads moving and – Bruno is just staring straight ahead. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, the r- right away, I'm th- like the, uh, it's in Ocean's Eleven. Yep. I know there's the, the scene where the, they're doing the demolition and everybody's in Happy Gilmore. And still, it's in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. It's just been parroted so many times. You also have the, um, the murder that takes place in the reflection of the glasses, mm-hmm. which has been parroted a bazillion times. There's some Lynch stuff that's coming up there. There's like, you know, all these different, um, visual stylings that, uh, and and to be fair, it's possible Hitchcock was ripping some of these things. I don't have the vocabulary enough of that time period. No, we're just going to think the person who in the oldest movie that we've what, seen. Yeah, the oldest it. one we've seen definitely invented it. Did you know that Hitchcock invented movies? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I mean, it's not something too absurd for us to say, so mm-hmm. weirdly. I I really love this, and it it holds throughout. There really are does. there are movies like this where I'm kind of I get impatient. This is not one of those. It the runtime is you know a hundred minutes or something. Yeah, a it's over pretty half. pretty brisk. And you mentioned that they spend a lot of time with side characters, but it feels earned and it feels necessary. Totally. It doesn't feel like it meanders just to tell more story, which For sure. some of these kind of thrillers do. I, I really liked it. The one thing I will say is we need to bring back Tunnels of Love to commit Man, murders in. Potentially coming up. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the the Tunnel of Love, that, that side note, she is like 100% having a threesome on. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you go into a Tunnel of Love alone, it should just take you to the police. It should just... It should, <laughs> There should be a filter in there somehow that just sends you directly to the cops. <laughs> that that whole sequence, and this is the the scene when Bruno is uh, stalking Miriam, guy's current wife, the one that he's estranged from, um, who who is the target of his murder, and he's like 
kind of trying to impress her. He's like apparently jacked and and does the carnival. They're at a carnival and he does the carnival strength game and like breaks the machine. So that's a weird thing. And she's like kind of into it. There's like, there's a whole psychosexual thing that's going on in this mm-hmm. movie that's incredible. This movie is very it, sexual. It is. So first of all, everybody wants to fuck guy in this oh, movie. He, oh yeah. Like Bruno definitely wants to fuck guy and obviously wants to fuck guy. Miriam kind of wants to fuck guy again. Like hate yep. fuck him for sure. Um, I think the cop wants to fuck guy a little bit and sister for sure oh like, yeah that hug right at the top nobody helps that much um i think the drunk dude that he sees on the train was trying to get some and then that's why he's like he says that he doesn't remember him at all because mm-hmm. he was like trying to you know get yeah. something out of it and then on the other end then everybody wants to fuck bruno too because you've got miriam who's into him when he looks all strong and then he chokes her out didn't work out then or, there's the lady did, at the, you know or <laughs> yeah, she's into that. then there's the lady at the party who he's like kind of flirting with and he's like let me show you how to choke someone and then he does oh yeah and, he, and she's really into it until she's not i is, think again is, is this knows? the kind of party you go to one where it's you know it's a fancy yeah, cocktail really affair. fancy and then explain how to murder someone <laughs> wasn't that babylon is, is that not what That's, happened okay. we watched babylon Babylon. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's so sexual. Um, while while I don't think anybody kisses once in this movie, like it's the perfect type of movie for this, where it's just the undertones are so aggressive the whole time, um, and it Ooh. gives it just this sheen of like weirdness that helps anchor again this bizarre premise. Uh, uh- episode idea is horniest movies that don't feature any sex. Writing it down. <laughs> it's this is in that hall of fame immediately. Oh yeah. The, I mean, for the, the tunnel of love shit is, is really like full on hall of fame, like two people. And then <laughs> it's that shot, which by the way is incredible where you're just seeing the shadows mm-hmm. cast on the wall of the boats. And it's her with the two guys and they're kind of fooling around. And she's like, don't, don't touch it. Don't put that there. What yeah. are you doing? And then, and you don't know what's going on, but you definitely know what's going on. And then just got, uh, Bruno shadow by itself. Is it in a swan boat? Are they swan boats? <laughs> it's in a swan boat. Yeah. Oh my God. We need more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, if we could just do a, a tunnel of love swan boat movie, <laughs> I'm in. It fits the theme. I, I think it's a great idea. It's yeah. Perfect. So, so this movie, I think we're agreed. Phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Very worth watching, but how did it score on the Vroomometer? You got <laughs> still it. Still getting, getting my mouth around that. Um, so, called Strangers on a Train, right? So you'd think right off the bat, okay, cool, oh, awesome, very good train movie, very excited. But <laughs> the poster of it uh, is a guy hanging off a train, like flying out the train. Let me tell you, it never happened. That sure doesn't happen. <laughs> Not <laughs> a real thing never at all. Once. <laughs> Fucking false advertising. I want my money back. Um, so here's the score. The majority of a movie in a vehicle, unfortunately, a hard no. How much, on how much is Swan based, though? Swan boat based. So, so it, it, it almost gets a half a point just because because Swan vehicle time is doubled. Oh, okay. On principle, but it, it doesn't get there. Even gotcha. So. Okay. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't know the bylaws were in there. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I know. There's, there's a whole elaborate. I'll, 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 I'll take you behind the hood at some point, but it's, oh. yeah, we're not doing it right now. Um, systems check. No. Systems failure. No, not, I, not, I would, we'll give it a 0.5 for a piece of machinery that falls apart that is ridden, but it is not a vehicle per se. They are riding on a horse. <laughs> you don't have to call real. Miriam that. 
So it gets a point five for that. Uh, buckling up or strapping in or bracing? No. Uh, no, no, no. Don't they brace on the carousel? Oh, you're right. You're right. I I had scored incorrectly. Great point. Um, gets a point for that. Uh, I'm, I'm the Price Waterhouse Cooper of the. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, the Oscars could have used that. Um, someone takes control of the situation. Um, yes, <sighs> not of a vehicle going. Oh no, yes they do because uh, the the old man who crawls oh, yes, under yes, the yes. thing, you're right, you're right. and then he's like, "Oh, save it." Um, best at what they do often unexpectedly. Can we, can we go back real quick? Yeah, how fast do carousels go in 1951? Uh, that you're flying <laughs> off them and holding on. <laughs> Have you ever but seen? I, have you ever seen a video of someone that ties a rope around uh, one of the carousels at like a? No, is um, that a thing? Well, no, no you, you can do it at like um, a playground. You know the one that we had. Oh at, yeah, 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 yeah. And you like just take a car and drive away, and yeah. it spins it at like Mach ten. <laughs> Those videos are great. Look it up. <laughs> That'd be a better better way to end this movie. Is just oh, that's what happens. Um, okay, best that what they do. No, they even talk about how he's like a. He's a good tennis player. He's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess you could argue that Bruno is... No, you definitely can't argue that he's the best sociopath because he fucks this shit up so badly. Um, ticking clock, yes, there is a, a ostensible countdown yep. to like when he's going to get there to drop it off, so that's a point. Uh, climax hinges on doing something uh, with the vehicle that you're not supposed to do. Um, this does get a point, and the reason it gets a point is because um, I would argue... Uh, because I consider myself a fairly sane person, at least depending on the day, um, you're not supposed to use a train to plot a double murder. So um, so that gets a point Trude. for that. Uh, and familial drama, um, it gets 0. 0.5, it, you know, ish. There's some drama, it's fine. It's not really revealed. It's not really yeah. just totally tangential. So that brings it to a five out of nine rooms, which is a respectable score, but for a movie that has the name of a vehicle in the title, I would argue you should be doing better. I don't think that's the goal of this film. Um, but, you know, five out of nine could be worse. So 56%. Yeah. So 56% on the Vroomometer. What in the actual rating of this movie? Uh, just like what yeah. I would score. I, I gave this a 4.5 out of five. Yeah. I had it at a four before I, I upped it on this rewatch. Yeah. It's a four for me. It's, it's really great. It turns out that Alfred, Hitch, Alfred Hitchcock made a bunch of great movies. Who knew? Uh, yeah. Watch them. I don't know. <laughs> Two white guys telling you to watch Hitchcock. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's watch Hitchcock. Yeah. The canon is important. Um, I think now's a good time to move to even more vehicles. The most vehicles. Uh, the, in this the, episode, the titular, the titular planes, trains, and automobiles uh, from 1987, directed by John Hughes. Not I, in a high school. No, hey, look at that. Yeah. Uh, so I had never seen this. This was a big oversight for me. I had also never seen this. That I didn't even realize that you hadn't seen this. This this feels like it would be Zach Core. Uh, it kind of is. I mean, it's yeah. it's right up my alley. Uh, this is the Tommy Boy before Tommy Boy. Right, I mean, exactly. It's uh, Tommy Boy is very clearly uh, heavily influenced by this. Tommy Boy, a perfect film. Um, just want to say that on record. Just keep it moving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Things that will be just you can loudly hear me schedule cut yeah. out <laughs> at forty seven twenty. Um, but this is a comedy with Steve Martin and John Candy. Two strangers that are trying to get from New York to Chicago over Thanksgiving weekend, and their flights get canceled, and they are trying to get back home, and uh, chaos happens during it. 
Um, it's it's a I don't know if this is the like it of it, but the oh, it's definitely not the the first example, but the two strangers stuck together on a road trip, having to figure each other out and figure the yep. situations out. It's the odd couple on the road, exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, and there's and there's innumerable examples of this type of movie, but this is this is perhaps one of the the best known. Yeah, I I. F- I really like this. I found this very charming. I'll probably like it more upon every rewatch. It feels like one that won't get boring. It's not mean, but it's like a little acid tinged, you know? There's a little more of an edge than I think I was expecting, which I appreciated. Um, and then that you'd often get in a film of this ilk, um, which which is great, and I think that helps elevate it a little bit, and it, it it establishes why this is important. I think you hit on an important thing too, which is like this era of comedies. I think thrive in their rewatchability. Um, when you think about like what holds up about older comedies and the evolution of comedy um, and stuff like that, I I think that this era in particular, I never enjoy these movies quite as much on the first watch. Um, something about the humor, just like. For me, it doesn't it doesn't hit with my aesthetic oftentimes um, quite as much as I would want it to. And the more I return to them, the more that familiarity sets in and you start to just like, the characters start to feel like a part of your family. And mm-hmm. that's when the humor really opens up and you get into the little eccentricities of it. And that's when it really starts to thrive. Totally. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't like Tommy Boy as much if I hadn't watched it 40 times when I was in, right. you know, like middle school and and, and all that. And uh, I will probably score Tommy Boy if you ever convince me to watch it again <laughs> a little higher. Um, yeah, I, so I think it's easy to go back and watch a drama from 1987. 100%. And have it be more immediately impactful. Um, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not really trying to get into a conversation of what can you not make jokes about anymore. Like, th- th- this movie's not that. You know, there are no, no, not at all. But cancel culture strikes again. I I think it is harder for things to stay universally comedic than it is for things to stay universally dramatic. And the fact that on the first watch, I really like this and I know that I'm going to like it more upon subsequent. It's just a, a testament to how a good both leads are and B how like good the script is from, from John Hughes. Yep. John Hughes, famously good. Now, I, I do I do think that this is worth, I guess, getting into now, and this is where I, thank God we don't have any listeners because I'm sure this is when I get the hate. I, I feel like this John is going to strangle you for this. I'm sure he will, and that's fine. Um, I I don't get Steve Martin. He like like at me. all? And I, I know that's a me thing. Um, he's never totally worked for me. I, there are a few examples where I don't think that's true. And it's usually when I think he's cast really perfectly. Um, but there's something, and I think actually being up against John Candy kind of put this into stark relief to a certain extent. There's something just inherently kind of fake about him um, that that restricts me from fully connecting with this character. And so when he's got that kind of acid-tinged thing going, which I think is what he's really good at, it there's just a little bit of distance for me because I can't fully connect with the person that he's playing. I'm just seeing someone being a dick. Um, whereas someone like John Candy, who I think is brilliant in this, there's like these layers and layers and layers of empathy 
to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he is such a human character all the way through that I always really believe everything that's going on. So even when he's being a fucking asshole, like in you know in something like Cool Runnings or something, like I there's so much depth and there's so much going on below the surface that I fully invest in it. And I just don't get there with Steve Martin in the same way. I think a lot of that has to do with what we're saying about comedies where I just don't have the relationship with him. I didn't watch a lot of Steve Martin growing up. Were so you not like a, a cheaper by the dozen? No, not at okay. all. Um, yeah. So, so he just as a presence was not a, like a, a person who I have a longstanding connection to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And I'm not I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm just saying it doesn't it's never locked for me and I think that holds me back a little from a lot of his movies. I I do enjoy him. <clears throat> I I didn't watch a ton of his stuff. You know, I I've seen Father of the Bride. I had seen um I haven't seen that. But I like I I never really saw something like um The Jerk, which is, you know, kind of is one of his big breakout yeah. roles. Uh yeah. so I'm I'm not unfamiliar, but I think that he does extremely well playing off John Candy in this movie, playing yeah. the more surly, angry, um, <clears throat> annoyed person. But this movie needs John Candy to be as good as it is. Right. And and John Candy is really interesting because <clears throat> I think about our generation with John Candy, and we got a little bit of John Candy when he was alive, and we got... Um, the right age for watching movies with John Candy um, and having them be a part of our lives. And I wonder about the generation after us and whether they even know who John Candy is or will have any relationship to him at all. Because I think he, when he passed away, like I don't think John Candy is in the culture at all. In I any, mean, he, he passed in 94. Right. And it's just like, he's just not relevant at all anymore. And we got, just the tail end of that, like we had a couple movies coming out. We had enough movies. That we had, were, like, we had cool, cool runnings. Was cool big... runnings was the big one. I mean, that was like the you know, but but he was there and present in a way where I know John Candy. John Candy is like an established figure. I, I think he's going to be one of the most brilliant, like for completely yeah. forgotten to time actors. I, I um, think he'll... certainly within comedy. Yeah, I mean, he has so many. He has Uncle Buck, which is right. Um, incredibly important. I don't think it'll be completely forgotten, but I, I definitely do think that he will be lesser remembered just because he didn't have a chance to put as many movies. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to to kind of lighten the mood, uh, I, I think that I miss road trip movies, and I think that technology has kind of destroyed the road trip movie. Yeah, I th- I think it definitely gets in the way. I think it's also just about how the technology and the limitations of that technology are used. Right? It, it's, like it's so amazing in this movie. It they the the way that they like utilize the this Cred- credit card is so exclusive that it can't be <laughs> it won't be accepted anywhere else. Yeah, and shit like that. You know, like those elements of it. I think they're they're used to further the plot and just be one more mm-hmm. sort of problem in the uh, one more sort of like stick getting poked in the spoke of the wheels. Um, but but I, I don't think that's impossible now. I just think people need to be more creative with the way they play into the limitations of the technology that does exist. Because it's not like technology can do everything. Obviously, it's more ubiquitous now mm-hmm. than it was then. 
But you could still, in theory, craft a movie that hits up against like what technology doesn't let you do. Yeah, I think I, the I, problem is we're not as creative with that anymore. I think we're not as creative, and then it also relies on like, oh, they lost their phone, or there's no service, right. or something like that. Yeah, right, exactly. Be- because be in this, it's like they have to get from New York to Chicago. Uh, the plane's out. All right, what do we do now? Do we try a train? Try a train. <laughs> try running a car. Try going on a bus. Try doing all this. And I miss that because it's the sense of like, fuck, we got to figure it out. Yeah. And that is something that I love in this movie. And, you know, these kind of comedies from the the 80s and 90s is just, fuck, how do we figure this out? We yeah. don't have another way other than our brains and a map, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, maps is a thing. <laughs> That's just right. So I, I remember, you know, when I was going on road trips with my family when I was younger, you know, I would love like being in the back seat trying to map out where we were going before like yeah. GPS existed. Yeah, and and then there was the the printing out map. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, era. Yeah, but it, I mean, just some of the a lot of the humor in this just like couldn't happen again today. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's totally true. Uh, I I do remember when I first started working at Target in I think two thousand and eight. We still had that like credit card swipe machine that oh, yeah. would like uh, put a copy of the credit card number and everything. Yep. Yeah, that's lost for time. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. But like, did you appreciate just like the tactileness of I all did. of the the this part of the movie? Yeah, and it's very. I mean, it's it's just it's brilliantly plotted and it's it's. Uh, how many things could possibly go wrong? Let's string them all together. Like yeah. in, in a, in a way that is largely, despite this movie being like sneaky absurd. surrealist at yeah. moments and totally absurd. Believable. Like, believable in that like, okay, in theory, all these things could happen aside from people turning into skeletons yeah. while yeah, driving yeah. down the wrong side of the highway and yeah. whatever, you know, and, and then driving a car that has been like lit entirely <laughs> on fire, you know, shit like that. But, but for the most part, like, um, is is feasible, and that I thought was really cool. Yeah, I um, I really loved like when they go to the old hotel, and there's clearly like one towel, and yeah. it's it's just a shitty fucking place. And I completely forgotten that vibrating beds existed as like oh my god a thing in society, and you would just put a quarter in <laughs> to have your bed vibrate for a little bit. So insane. Um, we were a horny nation in the eighties. Yeah, we're, (laughs) uh, but I don't know. I, I really liked the get to know someone, soften up to a person, understand differences. And that's like a big John Hughes thing. You know, he's a very sensitive director and screenwriter. And I think his talents are put on display here for this. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I, I definitely, saw the twist coming a little ways away, but it, I thought it worked. Yeah. I thought like that, that moment, that reveal, um, is really effective. Do you want to uh, just elaborate a, lot, a little bit on the reveal itself? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the reveal is throughout, throughout there's a, uh, you know, um, John Candy talks a lot about his wife and, but also is saying things like he hasn't been home in years and stuff like that. And so there's like a lot of, um, and, and the implication is that his wife is still alive and he's just on the road all the time. And then, um, at the climax of the film, Steve Martin kind of realizes that, uh, actually not the climax, uh, sort of the resolution of the film. They've, they've finally made it back to Chicago and Steve Martin realizes that 
um, uh, John Candy doesn't have a family anymore, and, and he his wife goes passed. and finds him, and his wife's yeah his wife's died uh, a number of years ago, and um, and it's a moment where he just goes and finds him in what I assume was a subway station he was planning on sleeping in. Like it's this very you know, um, it's it's a pretty sad moment, yeah. and John Candy really sells it, and he yeah. just kind of in this way that's just very matter of fact too. It wasn't like some big meltdown. He's just like, yeah, my. I, I haven't been home in years. My wife died, you know? Um, and I think that really works as a landing point for the film mm. uh, in a way that um, didn't feel purely milked for sort of cheap sentimentality. Like, it it actually felt like a natural landing point for the film, so. It was pretty earned, yeah. Yeah. The uh, the last thing I, I really want to touch on in this movie is it may have the best use of cursing in a, in a movie uh, that I've seen in a long Quite time. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Where Steve Martin has been fucked over on a rental car, and he doesn't swear up until this point, and then he gets into, he's like at the end of his end of his rope, gets into a conversation with the uh, uh, person at the rental car desk, and just drops f bomb after f bomb after <laughs> f bomb. So good. If you don't give me a fucking car right now, you know. <laughs> And it's it's hilarious. And then she responds with, "It's like, do you have your papers?" Like, no, I don't have them. I threw them away. It's like, well, then you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a perfectly written comedic scene, and it's earned by them not swearing throughout the entire exactly. rest of the movie. Right. And I and I thought stuff like that was great. And I'm definitely going to enjoy it more as I rewatch it more. I could yep. easily see myself putting this on as a comfort movie and just like having a good time with it. Yep. Agreed. Let's see how it did on the vrooms. <laughs> More importantly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so majority of movie in a vehicle. We'll give it a 0.5 because it's pretty. No, 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 no. A lot of this movie is on vehicle. This gets a one. We'll get, okay. You want to give it a one? Yeah. That's fine. I mean, we'll it's, it, a one. it is on planes and trains and automobiles. I know. It's also in hotels and uh, in fields yeah. and in other places. Um, systems check. There is no systems no. check, sadly. Systems failure. There is certainly a systems <laughs> failure. Multiple. Um, multiple systems failure. Uh, buckling up, strapping in, or bracing. Uh, there is a bracing moment when they're in the car yeah. or going down the highway the wrong way, which is my favorite scene in the movie yeah. by far. Yeah. Um, Someone takes control of a situation. Uh, we'll give it a point five, like kinda. I would say no. Really. Okay, we'll give I would it. A, say no. We'll give it nothing. Um, we've got uh, the best at what they do. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Um, uh, ticking clock. Yes, they gotta yeah. get back by Thanksgiving. Great ticking clock. Uh, getting back by holiday. Perfect ticking clock concept. Uh, climax hinges on doing something with a vehicle that you're not supposed to do. Not really. Like, I mean, they drive enough. a burnout husk. Don't they go oh, into a mail truck? True. No, you're yeah. right. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, that, that gets a, a one. Truck, that yeah, gets yeah. a one. Yep. Uh, and then family drama yes. uh, that is tangential to the plot. Absolutely. So that gets you a six out of nine. Or so we. 66. So right now we're at playing at seven, planes, trains, automobiles at six, and strangers on a train at five. That's correct. Okay. Clearly uh, not not connected to the actual quality of the film at all. I mean, I feel like that's intentional. <laughs> Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I think, do you have anything more to say about Plain Strange? No, I think, we, I think we swing over to our final film of the round. Yeah, a movie that you had somehow never seen. Uh, I had never seen Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, one of the um, 
the many collaborations between Adam McKay and Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Um, this is a film for those of you who, like me, were living under a rock during 2006. Um, yeah, I don't think this needs to be a long explanation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think this- it's a film about Ricky Bobby, a uh, NASCAR racer um, who uh, has some troubles and then comes back to racing fame. Um, this movie's funny as shit. Yeah, it's it's hard to go through a Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Adam McKay comedy and not just quote the whole movie. And we're going to do our very best <laughs> to not do that. And that's all we have to say about the ballad of Ricky Bobby. I I really liked this one. Um, I thought even at the time it was not smarter. Smarter is a, a a bad word, but. There is like some genuine drama in this. Um, So Ricky Bobby is like the the star and John C. Riley is his lackey for lack of a better term. And I thought that their relationship in this is almost as good as them and Step Brothers. Like it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I like step. I mean, I'm I'm fonder of Step Brothers probably because I've seen it more, but I I do think it it really their dynamic. Uh, and there it's unmatched. Of it's, it's just it talk. About, I mean, it's, it's a Pippin Jordan yeah. type of deal of just like, they are perfectly suited to each other. It's also really interesting when you hear about like their approach to acting and how like methodical John C. Riley. Oh, John C. Riley is like a real an, actor, an actor's actor. <laughs> and fucking Will Ferrell is just like flying by his, the seat of his pants constantly, but also like a brilliant, you know, perhaps the greatest comedian of our time. Um, they work so well together, and it's this constant, like, uh, John C. Riley kind of being the, for lack of a better word, like, the bitch boy to mm-hmm. who's just, like, kind of, uh, like, accommodating everything he wants and is just, like, so happy to be there. And then Yeah, I think that that's, flips, that's the best way to put it, happy to be there. And when that flips and all of a sudden he's given the chance at... <laughs> Ricky Bobby's wife and also Ricky Bobby's success and all that stuff. We'll, like, we'll get to that. Yeah. But it, but it is that like that reversal he plays that so well too cuz it's it's like someone realizing for the first time that actually they can be good mm-hmm. and not just by riding someone else's coattails. Um and he plays that like the earnestness of that uh drive towards some type of success really effectively. Um and meanwhile Will Ferrell plays just like floundering better than yeah. almost anyone. Yeah, floundering but talented is is so yes. good. I mean, so let's let's talk about Adam McKay for a bit. So the start of his career was Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, and the other guys. Which is, I would say, three for four, but even by those metrics, like, that is a spectacular run out the gate. Uh, and I, I think it's four for four. I think all of those are extremely good movies. Uh, I don't, The Big Short, I thought was quite good. I love the Big Short. I think it's I think it's really great, and I also think it is very clearly the moment that the shit hits the fan. Yes, because he, because Vice and Don't Look Up fucking suck. Correct. Those those movies I think are actively very bad, and it's a bummer because I understand you can you can watch this movie and see where he goes wrong in Vice and Don't Look Up based off of things that go well in this. Right. Because, well, I think I think integral to that is um, he now I think Adam McKay is viewed as a sort of like social commentary filmmaker, yep. which I think is what started with the Big Short. 
he was doing that in these movies. He yeah. was doing that in Anchorman. He's doing that in Talladega Nights. You know, it's it's he's talking about workplace dynamics and gender dynamics and and stuff like that in Anchorman. Yeah. He's talking about in Talladega Nights, like uh, the the masculinity between masculinity and um, and parenting and yeah. like homosexualism yeah. and and like jingoism within yeah. the United States and stuff like that. And he's he's. When touching on all those things with through this lens of I'm going to make this funny as a vehicle to actually examine these things. And he's in many ways more effectively talking oh, about the nature of society yeah. than when he makes movies that are like, and isn't this how society is? Like, don't look up part of what makes it feel like such a failure, and I think you and I are particularly low on this movie, is that it it was so try-hard. I can feel it so, patting itself on its back while it's happening. It was so proud of every observation it was making, and none of them felt interesting or earned or uh, like they had any depth beyond like, yeah, no shit. I, too, am on Twitter. Like, yeah, I, I think earned is uh, the, the better word there because they – we don't need to go too much into his failures right. <laughs> later, yeah. but – it, it's so clearly like, yes, I am saying this. Aren't I so smart for it? And in right. and in this movie, he is common, uh, commenting on conservatism and their views on homosexuality, which I think uh, Sasha Baron Cohen plays uh, Jean Girard and his uh, husband, Andy Richter. <laughs> One of the best parts of the movie is they... The like NASCAR broadcast plays like a uh, you know those like one minute fluff pieces where it's like let's look yeah. at the home of it's like him and his husband they're like what training German shepherds and <laughs> and everything and it just cuts back to the booth and they're in like stunned silent it's it's really funny um, I so Sasha Baron Cohen's in this it also just has a murderer's row of a supporting cast. It's Sasha Baron Cohen. One of the most stacked movies, yeah. uh, Michael Clark Duncan, Leslie Bibb, Gary Cole, Jane Lynch, Amy Adams, Andy Richter. uh, So many people. Oh, Rob Riggle, uh, Molly Shannon are also in this. It's Jack McBrayer. Oh, yeah. Very briefly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible that he can bring all these, a lot of SNL people uh, into a movie. And, you know, Molly Shannon's on screen for three minutes maybe yeah and, and she's just the drunk wife of the shit owner yeah and it's right. great and it's great it's perfect yeah it's 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 one of those things which i mean this is where his background as an snl writer kind of and the synchronicity between him and Farrell really sort of becomes clear right because he um they know how to deploy characters yes. and they obviously have this deep branch bench of friends who are some of the funniest people ever but they know how to sort of drop them in and use them perfectly for that one minute of like this is the person who can sell this bit great yep. it's done keep it moving uh, and i think similarly the casting of the core people um is phenomenal like leslie bibb is oh my god so perfect good. as the wife in this movie she is so good I, I think one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, after uh, Ricky Bobby has his accident, loses mojo and all that, he comes back and, and Cal Naughton is just like married her. You know, he's just like, it, it's Within, replaced and, her. And then there's the, the great joke where he's like, it's been like six hours yeah. or something like that. And he's already like moved into the yeah. home. I, I think there's like, you've already lost, uh, you've already lost a wife 
and your kids, you don't want to lose your best friend too. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it, it's so like good. It, the use of cuckolding in this is, is incredible. Unbelievable. Uh, and it's just played so straight. It's like, of course you would do that. Of course he yeah. would do that, you know. Um, and, but it, it somehow doesn't make him look evil, you know? Yeah, right. No, he's still likable, yeah. Um, I also think these are some of the funniest uh, children in a uh, oh, like a mainstream movie. Helped by their name. Yep. <laughs> which, coming up. Yeah. Uh, so Jane Lynch is the mom, and then he has two boys who are just like, just shits like it's what a uh, known arsonists. I think they yep. are. Or <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. Well-documented arsonists. Um, and there's a whole side, uh, side bit of Jane Lynch whipping the children back into shape, which if yeah. you're going to do like a side bit in a movie like this, that it's is great. Great one amazing. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Sasha Baron Cohen for a second? Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this episode. Full disclosure: we've we've tweaked the awards slightly, and uh, we no longer, for this episode at least, have the Rebecca Pigeon Award. But let me tell you, if we did, good lord, yeah. this man's accent in this film. So Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, this is still in that era of. Uh, this was after Borat, correct? Yes, because um, this came out in two thousand and six. Yeah. But it's in that it's in that prime. Like Sasha Baron Cohen is still this sort of character actor. Um, oh, he's not same, same to do, year. But same year. Okay. Borat came but out not, afterwards. He's not trying to do any serious dramas at this point. He's not trying. He's a pure comedic actor, usually doing these sort of like transformative um, roles. And he in this movie um, weirdly like injects a lot of empathy and heart <laughs> into the antagonist of the film in a way that really works for the movie. I really like him in it. I think he's great, even if his accent sounds like he is like swallowing I mean, marbles. Yeah, I mean, rightfully, I, yeah, intentionally so. You know, it's very it's, yeah, totally. Um, I I think this is one of the most rewatchable movies ever. It yeah, is. It is just you can jump in at any time, like literally yes. any moment. You know what's going on. You know what's happening. It's uncomplicated. Right, we haven't even talked about like Gary Cole and the whole the absentee Michael, father yeah. and like their whole training montage and stuff. Yeah, or like Michael Clark Duncan as the pit boss and yeah, and it's 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 just incredible how how like slim it is, you know? Like yeah, it it, it has a lot of side plot, but it doesn't feel fat. You know, it doesn't feel like. Oh, we're spending too much time at this point. Like, there's not a time where I want to like tune away from it. There are totally. there are movies, you know, in this kind of 2000s comedies where I'm like, all right, here's the 15 minutes where they focus on this dumb side thing. I, I found this pretty slim. Um, it's it's an interesting, you know, there's there's overlap obviously, but this is the the handoff to the to the Apatow verse yep. happens pretty close to this time, right? Um, and those are kind of the two anchors of comedy, at least during like our high school yeah. time, right? Um, and while I think oftentimes I connect more immediately to a lot of the Apatow stuff in terms of like the the most quotable moments, the, the jokes, the things like that, those movies are nowhere near as lean. Yeah. They're nowhere near as like finely tuned. And these movies are just like, for lack of a better and less 
on the nose were like they're less well oiled machines. Mm-hmm. And this is just like these are so perfectly crafted to just kind of do their job, get the jokes in, be out. This feels like Thirty Rock, you know, where it's a, exactly, yes, exactly, where it's, the jokes per minute are just like rattling off, and all you want to do is like move on. You and know. that's what gets you to go back to him, too, yeah. is that you can just, you, you will always catch a new joke or catch a new layer to it or have a new thing that you didn't think was quotable before that now is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 108 minutes. It's yep. fantastic. Spectacular. Uh, do you want to quickly touch on Amy Adams? Look, man, uh, when we talk about Adam McKay and the time when Adam McKay was good, um, it's obviously it. It sucks. Adam McKay was great, whatever. But Adam McKay was not the heart and soul of of this movie um, and and of these movies. Like I think of Will Ferrell, I think of John C. Riley. When you see Amy Adams in this movie and the absolute like jaw dropping brilliance, you were I just shocked like, that she was in this. I had no idea going into it, and she's so fucking good. And you see this, and then what she's done outside of Sharp Objects for the last half a decade. Like, look at what they took from us, man. <laughs> like, look at what we've lost. It's so uh, just, and it's and it's funny because, like, I, you know, I, I think uh, I would probably point to like Arrival as my favorite Amy Adams thing, mm-hmm. but this is up there. <laughs> like, she, her ability as a comedic actress is so fucking good, and the combination of that. With her dramatic chops, the fact that what we've been left with is fucking hillbilly elegy. Like I, I can't. I, uh, excuse I, me. It, uh, written by Senator uh, JD Jesus Vance. Fucking Christ. <laughs> Episode over. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I, you know, cut off your thought. Go ahead. No, that's the whole thought. There's no more thoughts after Senator JD Vance. <laughs> Oh God! I I don't know. I will forever love this. Uh, did it, did this movie make you want to drink laughing clown malt liquor? Sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I think I think we did it. I think we got there without trying to quote the movie once. I'm pretty That's impressive. Yeah. Do you want to rattle off some right now? Just to no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so what's what's this on the uh, vermometer? Let's let's talk the vermometer. Okay, majority of movie in a vehicle. Half? It's a tricky one. I would give it a half. That's what I had it at. Systems check. Yes, you've got yeah. the whole pit stop. You got all that stuff. Systems failure. Absolutely. Yeah. Big crash. Center of the thing. Buckling up and strapping in definitely oh, yeah. happens. Not so much bracing, but definitely those two. Someone takes control of the situation. Yeah, for sure. He's Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. He controls lots of situations. Best at what he does. Absolutely. He's got to go Ricky fast. Bobby. Got to go fast. Ticking clock, not so much. You could no. maybe argue that I, the is, race is. Is every like, race a ticking yeah, clock? Yeah, kind of. I don't really think it gets it there. I'm going to give it a zero on this okay. one. Um, climax hinges on doing something with the vehicle that you're not supposed to do. They go in reverse, and then they run. They do go in reverse. That's a great point. It gets a one. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, familial drama, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tons of familial drama in this. Whole... Daddy issues something. Oh yeah, I, I just love that he leaves and then scalps the tickets at the end. That's that's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that gives us a seven point five out of nine. Hell on yeah. Thermometer. Talladega Nights, the best, <laughs> the, <laughs> the best uh, automobile movie of the round. Yeah, it's a it's an it's an eighty three percent 
pretty solid. Um, which I think, if we don't have anything left to say about that, it might be worth just banging off a couple other quick yep. favorite vehicle movies and, and other sort of high scorers on the vermometer just to give us a, a good sort of okay. like sense of that. Um, so again, not a corollary to greatest movies of all time necessarily, but um, a few other sort of high-profile vehicle movies. Um, one that jumps to mind is Titanic. Mm-hmm. Titanic, Heard of it. you might think, oh, okay, yeah, you're on a boat the whole time. Like, Actually, it only scores a 7 out of 9 on the Vroomometer. So, really? Like, respectable, but there's some. It's, it's lacking in a couple things. Climax hinges on doing something with the vehicle that you're not supposed to. Um, they're not doing anything with that vehicle. <laughs> that vehicle <laughs> is just to them. Not, yeah, <laughs> doing something by itself. Um, so it, it loses out there. Nobody's really the best at what they do, so it, it falls short there. Um, Murder on the Orient Express is another good one that's uh, not so much an action movie, but uh, you know, similarly, you spend the whole time on the train. Um, really, I, I'm talking about the original Murder on the Orient Express. Not, not the, the Gal Gadot version. Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh, yeah, bullshit. Um, gives you a 7.5, ultimately, so similar to Talladega Nights. Um, totally respectable. Um, again, there's no use of the train in the wrong way, so it doesn't really get you anything there. Apollo 13 is a good one. Um, Apollo 13, we haven't talked much about spaceship movies, um, but Apollo 13, arguably one of the best spaceship movies in terms of vehicle moviness. Uh, It gets you an 8 out of 9 or an 89%. Um, The big area where that falls short is that no one's really the best at what they do in that. You know, Tom Hanks is good, but he's not the best. Um, One of the former Bowlet movies that we looked at, Crimson Tide, submarine movie, Crimson Tide, a real killer on the uh, on the vroomometer. Gets an 8.5 out of 9 Ooh, or a what, 94%. What's the, half point off? the half point off, again, best at what they do. I would argue Gene Hackman is very good at being an asshole, and Denzel Washington is very good, but neither of them is quite the absolute best. It's not really sort of, they don't get that credit, so they get a 94. Um, every Fast and Furious movie on principle is a 94, <laughs> except for Fast 7, which may get 100%, but it depends on the day. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, a recent watch, Ooh. also a 94%. Um, that, again, falls short on the uh, doing something with the vehicle you're not supposed to do. Kind of, but not really. Like, you I know, mean, that happens in the, f- in the first uh, the first scene. Oh, yeah. but the, not oh that's the... true. Yeah, but not the climax, oh, right? Climax. So it gets a 0. Okay. 0.5. Now we get into the, uh, the Hall of Famers. Um, so former Bowlet movie, uh, the film Unstoppable. Uh, the famed Tony Scott movie. Is the majority of the movie in a vehicle? Sure is. Is there a systems check? Sure is. Do things fail? Sure do. Do people have to brace and buckle up and strap in? Sure do. He gets strapped into the little connector with the corn, and then everybody thinks he's dead. With it's the great. corn? Yeah, when all the corn's flying out oh, of him, yeah. remember? <laughs> um, uh, Denzel, I would argue, is the best at what he does, always. The climax hinges on uh, taking that train too fast around Wait, the hold curve. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Didn't you just say that Denzel wasn't the best at what he does in Crimson In the other Tide? movie, yeah. Sh- <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I want to stop it a little bit. Good. Um, uh, familial drama, yeah, he's got the whole, there's the, the wife and all that stuff. So that's, that's 100%. We nailed it. Um, another one, this one's for Gabe. Speed. Speed is a... Uh, a certified fresh, certified vroom, vroomometer winner uh, that checks every single box you could ever hope for. And the mm-hmm. last one I've got on here um, is Gravity, which is nine out of nine vrooms 
It's 100%, but unfortunately, it's not a movie. It's a video game cutscene, so it gets a zero. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm trying to see what else might, uh, might fit in there. What about Sully? Uh, strong showing from uh, Sully. Sully would be good. Uh, what about uh, Wallace and Gromit Grand Day Out? You know, they go to yeah. a moon made of cheese. That checks out. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably, I don't know, like 6.5. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Ford versus Ferrari is likely higher up than it is in terms of movie that I like. Okay. I would guess that's probably in the eight range. Ooh, what about um, Snowpiercer? That's interesting. So let's see Snowpiercer. Majority of the movie on a vehicle. Yes. Systems check. Yeah, I think so. I think there are. Yeah, you do get some inner workings of it. Systems failure. Yes, because he breaks shit yeah. down. Bracing. Yes, absolutely. Someone takes control of the situation yeah. for sure. Best at what they do, not everyone really. else is dead though, so they yeah, have to be true. the best at what they yeah, do. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so yeah, by the end, yeah, um, ticking clock, not so much. Um, so it doesn't really get it there. Doing something with the vehicle that you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to stop that train, and he stops that train, Ooh. so we'll give it that. Gone in sixty seconds. Gone in sixty seconds. A great one. That one. Majority of the movie in a vehicle. Probably. Yeah, I don't think we need to go through the the whole yeah. the whole list. That's probably a good one. It's interesting. There's something like like Mad Max Fury Road yeah. is like on the edge there where it's going to really hit in certain ones and it's not going to in other areas. That what about cars? <laughs> so, are you in the car if you are the car? I think is <laughs> the real. <laughs> that's going to be the. Are you in the vehicle the whole time, or would the car need to ride in? For example, in Cars Two, would Cars Two score higher than Cars <laughs> One because the cars ride in a plane? A hundred percent, a hundred percent more. You know, you, you created a great system here, Nate. Fantastic! I'm, I'm very we'll, proud we'll, of you. <laughs> wonderful. We'll uh, we'll revisit the vroomometer in other future episodes for our next episode when we center an episode around ship. <laughs> That's not coming out for a while. It'll yeah, be great. that and the new Joker movie, which is coming out oh, in Jesus Christ. What twenty three months? I think it is, or something like that. Oh my god, that's not even a real amount of time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have any final thoughts about Talladega Nights before we move on to uh, our awards? We're, I really don't. We're yeah. back at the awards. The awards. We got them back. We haven't done them in a while. Uh, we've done so many lotties. Uh, so we usually end every episode with some awards that we have all made up. Um, so the first award that we give out is the Bob Odenkirk Award for the actor that shows up very late into a movie that you weren't expecting. Uh, I'm going to go, and it is Michael McKean, the Better Call Saul uh, co-star who shows up as the cop in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That is true. Um, I also had a Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I had Ben Stein who oh, shows yeah. up in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as a uh, someone who's working for the airline. Do you remember when Ben Stein's money? Oh, yeah. Sure do. That was weird. I feel like I only watched that when I was sick. That whole era of like Comedy Central yeah. shows. Yeah, totally. That's a whole other episode. Sure is. Um, the Lakeith Stanfield Award for the actor that keeps showing up in movies that we watch. Nate, who's your winner? So this one's uh, both uh, past. Uh, there, there were a lot of people who were in like one movie we had seen. Um, I picked Gary Cole. Who was that in that is also plan. mine. Yeah, and he's going to be in One Hour Photo, which will be for our next episode, which we'll talk about shortly. Yep. Uh, our next award is the Dom Cobb slash Harge Aired slash James Gum Award. 
for the dumbest name in a movie. Nate, what do you have? Uh, so there's a couple options here. Um, I'll give one, and then we'll we'll circle back around to. I feel like there are two um, options. There's more than two, I promise you. Um, but I'm gonna go with uh, Farley Granger, the real name of the guy who plays uh, the character Guy oh, in yeah. Strangers <laughs> on a Train. Uh, I have Texas Ranger Bobby. That's correct. Yep. Uh, it was the son of Ricky Bobby. Yeah, and, and then uh, we both obviously of have course, Captain Brody. Captain Torrance. Brody Torrance. Yeah. Um, I also want to shout out the uh, the Blackwater uh, mercenaries for hire, who are named respectively Shellback, Carver, Donahue, Ortega, and Lolo. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> um. We have the Frank Booth Very Chill Guy Award, uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. Nate, who do you have? There's some obvious ones for this. I'm going to go a little left of center, and I'm going to say Hampton, who is the uh, head of the airline uh, in plane. Oh, I had capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That was mine. Yeah, same brain. Uh, consi- consistently prioritizing the financials of the airline above the lives of the passengers, um, which is some bullshit. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean the obvious one is Bruno Anthony. The uh, that's correct. <laughs> the, the noted sociopath. I also think you could make a case for Miriam, uh, who you know I wouldn't say that she got what she deserved because that'd be horrible. However, um, she's she's acting like a real dick to guy. So yeah. uh, I don't know. I think the other one is uh, Carly Bobby. Ricky Bobby's yes, wife. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that who is, who yeah, immediately abandoned, a lot of bad wives in these. Yeah, who immediately abandons him for his best friend three hours after he gets out of the hospital. Yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, our next one is the Dutch Boy or Geostorm Award for the uh, most illogical plot point to happen. Uh, Nate, what do you yeah. have? I had um, shower curtain rings that are Did, indiscernible yeah, I, as <laughs> fake jewelry. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so that is from That Blaine's. is like the most hand-waved. He just like makes travel money by selling shower curtain rings, t- pretending that they're earrings. It's incredible. That's in planes, trains, and automobiles. And that's how yeah, they make it, a bunch of money yes. is they steal plastic uh, shower rings and sell them as earrings. And everyone's like, hell yeah, brother. Give me those. <laughs> Um, I also I, I want to shout out the um, conveniently located, friendly, and usable uh, island airport that's within spitting distance of the remote, yep. uh, isolated, rebel-controlled island that you can't go anywhere near. That was pretty handy. Uh, um, I also had a a budget airline company having mercenaries at beck and call <laughs> ready to be I'm sent tall. into into <laughs> said uh, said island. That was pretty high up there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my, my last one is, uh, you know, just going back to your previous, was directing a plane through a giant storm that will obviously fuck them up because of <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, we have a new award. We do. So we are sunsetting our Rebecca Pigeon worst accent because I feel like that will only come up when it's deserved. Uh, yeah, and we want to make sure that we still honor it when when a real travesty of an accent comes up. We can always call upon... The, yeah, the, the god Rebecca Pigeon, but it's not a necessity every time. No, and Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't earn it because it's obviously put on clearly deliberate uh, for a comedy. What we do have is a new award. We have the 3 p.m. triple shot of Espelon at Pins. What are we doing here? Award, which is given to 
a actor, a director, a cinematographer, a screenwriter, um, someone in the production of the movie that makes you ask, what are we doing? Just something that totally perplexed you with the decision that went into the movie. Um, for me, I'm going to talk to the screenwriters of Plane, and I'm going to ask, why did you make everyone on this plane fucking detestable and 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 people that I didn't want to be saved? Frankly, a lot of Frank Booth candidates yeah. on that plane. <laughs> it was influencers. It was uh, an old dude that was just a bitchy little asshole. Like, no one on that plane I wanted to get off of the island. I just wanted them all to die. And yep. I understand that, you know, you want him to save people that may not be, like, perfect citizens. But they have that in the ex-con. You know, like, it, it just blew my mind that they were both uninteresting, forgettable, and pieces of shit. Yeah. Not really, really disappointing. Who Total do you bummer. Have? I, surprisingly, I wasn't expecting this when I initially went into it, but I'm going to be speaking to Alfred Hitchcock. You made Rolling a over in his grave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your film was called Strangers on a Train. The climax of the film, Strangers on a Train, hinges on a fight aboard a speeding, dangerously out of control, merry-go-round? <laughs> what are we doing? Is, is that what... Like, 1951 parents were afraid of you, you couldn't get back on a train <laughs> what what it 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 blew my mind that that is the 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 climax is a merry-go-round disaster and not a train disaster i, I, I want to know more about solved. the engine of the merry-go-round like just, is, is it just like an old uh, bus engine that they just strapped <laughs> to, the, to the center full-on that technology was later used to travel to the moon yes yeah, it, it's, you know, a lot of questions. Um, that will be a recurring uh, bit. If uh, you're, you aren't in the know, uh, Nate and I went to a movie over Thanksgiving break and saw a woman order three shots of Espelone at 3 p.m. at the local Hadley Mall Pins, which is a glorified Dave and Busters, uh, and just made us asking, what are we doing here? Pretty wonderful stuff. Um, and then our final one is the, for the love of God, had that doll award, which is the thing you find yourself screaming at the TV as you're watching all of these movies. Nate, you want to start us off? Sure thing. So, uh, if you were paying close attention in strangers on the train, one of the first things that happens is, uh, guy tries to get out of having lunch with, um, Bruno by asking the waiter when the dinner car is ready. And the waiter says, oh, it'll be about 20 minutes. And 20 minutes is too long for him. And so he decides to have lunch with someone who's already demonstrated themselves to be a sociopath. So for the love of God, wait 20 minutes. <laughs> That's a great one. I, I mean, mine's just more simple for that movie. It's for the love of God, don't tell the person who you want to commit double murder, the entire plot immediately upon meeting them, maybe like strike up a rapport, maybe like build that relationship. It. It, it seems like a really irresponsible way for you to try and uh, get this going smoothly. You know, 
Speaking of irresponsible ways to try and get this going, uh, I guess we're going to be sticking with strangers on the train a little bit. Um, for the love of God, don't visit the guy whose wife you just murdered. If the whole concept of this is to have it be untraceable and no connection between you, and then you go to his house to tell him you did it, what are you doing? It's not the best move. Uh, my next one is, for the love of God, don't take a shower or brush your, brush your teeth with a stranger in the hotel room, if you haven't looked to see if you have ample space to dry yourself off or spit into the sink. Like, come, come on. Seems like a, a major, like, just some adult behavior oversight there. Yeah. I mean, he, he dries himself with a fucking uh, washcloth. It's Get insane. better, Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, for the love of God, don't stay on Jolo Island, Mike Coulter. What are you doing? <laughs> like, why? There's one way off this island. It's a plane. And you say, I can't get on that plane. Excuse me. It's plane. I'm sorry. It's plane. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I just have one more. Uh, for the love of God, you can't make Amy Adams look unattractive. Stop trying. <laughs> Put glasses on her, you know, you're going to put her in a ponytail, the classic, like, rom-com <laughs> trip. It doesn't work. She's beautiful. That doesn't so work. So funny. Yeah, great. Do you have any love. more? Uh, last one I had was, um, for the love of God, don't let the suspected murderer play tennis. Now, we know that Guy was not actually responsible for the murders. However, everybody thinks he was, and the cops literally have a conversation where they're like, man, just let him play it out. Yeah. And that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what would be, like, the equivalent. I don't know. Letting, like, a, someone who everybody knows is, like, a convicted sex offender uh, be the president. I think would be a great <laughs> example of that. Um, I think we're going to end with uh, F. Gary Gray, uh, and that is in honor of the famed director, F. Gary Gray. So it is Fuck, Mary Kill. Uh, Nate, do you want to go? I, I had a Dude. really hard time with this. So yeah. I, I chose not to use my law-abiding citizen. I also chose not to use law-abiding citizen. So law-abiding citizen for <laughs> the, the dumb. this is the dumbest thing to explain. <laughs> it is fuck, marry, kill, but kill to the point of like, ex, yeah, like extermination. Erase, yeah, expunge from the, the history books. Um, it felt too easy for Plain. Totally. And, and to be fair, I don't think Plain is that bad. I think part of why Plain is disappointing is because it's not even bad enough to be fun. Right, it it would have needed to be much worse. It's just a very mediocre movie. So yeah. I'm graying plain. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm effing Talladega Nights. I think just because that type of humor just a little bit more in my lane. Um, and I'm garying Strangers on a Train. Uh, I am effing Strangers on a Train. I am garying Talladega Nights because I'm the most familiar with that one, and I have watched it the most times. I almost garyed uh, playing strands and automobiles. Yeah. I think it it's so close. And then obviously Greg playing. Yeah. This bit, I don't know if it works. You know, we've been doing it for four years or whatever it is. I don't love, I don't love this works. It's, <laughs> we always do four movies. We have three slots. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a flawed system. It's not as airtight as the vroomometer. Yes. As opposed to all the other bits we do. Famously airtight. Every time I'm just like, I can just eliminate one of these. This doesn't yeah. make <laughs> this doesn't make sense. 
Um, so yeah, any uh, any final thoughts on planes or trains or automobiles? Do you have a? Do, I guess this is a good rounding out question. Do you have a favorite vehicle for a film to be based on? Like, if you are going to center your movie on a single type of vehicle, um, do you have a favorite vehicle to base it on? I think cars are the most malleable. You can do more things with it. Um, both trains and planes are very confined. Um, you know, planes, obviously they can't land, they can't do anything. Trains can stop, but I think bullet train has ruined trains movies for me for a while. (laughs) So I'm a little sour on it. I'm still bitter. I didn't force that to be rewatched for this episode. God, the movie sucks so much. Um, I think I really miss the road trip movie. Yeah. And I think that is kind of my favorite genre of all of them. If it's a thriller, though, I think Train is sneaky underrated. I agree. I think Trains are trains are really solid. I think that um, something about, it's interesting, the, the confined space thing that you said, I, I think actually really works in some of my favorite sort of like thrillers on a plane, like the the sort of three to 3.5 star thriller on a yep. plane flight plan, red eye, nonstop. Yep. All those movies are just spectacular. And it's such a low bar to have to clear. Like you just, it, you it could go down. Out. You don't, you don't know who's on the plane. Someone's bad. Yeah. Check it, the passenger I, 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 manifest. I, so like we, we missed probably the most important one in the vroomometer, which is air force one. Oh yes, that is a great point. It, is that the like that is, pinnacle of that's the probably right there with speed of I think I think probably Air Force One and speed are like first ballot Hall of Fame the best the best to do it yes yeah right <laughs> the goats it's the LeBron <laughs> and Jordan of the vroomometer. Uh Any final thoughts? No final thoughts. Uh, this was lots of fun. It was fun to dive into some vehicle movies. It was fun to have a reason to watch some other vehicle movies. It was fun to play around with the v- roomometer. I'm sure we can keep fine-tuning uh, that and we? figuring out Is other this a ways. We? To- <laughs> You're using a lot of royal we in this episode. I love the roomometer. I can't wait to see it applied for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ooh. Thank you, everyone. See you next time. On the next episode of Ballot, we'll be talking about the 2023 Oscars. We'll be joined, of course, by the one and only Gabe, as always. The first half of the pod will be recorded before the ceremony, where we'll give you our predictions for who we think will win, as well as who we would have wanted to win in an ideal world. You'll get to hear the optimism in our voice before Austin Butler eventually wins for Elvis. On the second half, we'll come to you right after the telecast and talk about the event itself and the winners. Tune in on March 15th to hear our collective mental breakdown in real time. <laughs>